All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Ultimate Fighter, Season 1, the Middleweight Semifinals, Number 2, Episode 11. Okay, so a recap of the last episode. The fighters learned that they will be facing each other on the same teams. Forrest Griffin is concerned about the cut on his eye, and all of his teammates, coaches, and Dana hope that his eyeball, excuse me, not his eyeball, his eyebrow heals in time for his next fight on the show. Uh, Forrest has to choose a replacement fighter in case his eyebrow doesn't heal in time for his next fight. And he chooses to bring Bobby back on the show to be his backup if his eyebrow doesn't heal in time. On the last episode, Kenny defeats Chris Lieben by Dr. Stoppage after Kenny lands a clean elbow on Chris Lieben. Lieben was absolutely destroying Kenny, pushing him up against the fence most of the first round, kneeing him, punching him with hooks and uppercuts. He completely outstruck Kenny, and Kenny looked scared to engage in striking with Lieben most of the fight. Lieben also landed vicious elbows on Florian as well, but unfortunately, none of them uh, cut Florian open. Miraculously, Kenny did not have any cuts after taking vicious beating from Chris Lieben. Kenny tried to take down Lieben in the first round because he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and knows this would be a better spot for him, but was unsuccessful. Kenny definitely looked smaller than Lieben, and this is probably why Lieben dominated him in the clinch so well. Kenny was scared to engage and clinched with Lieben, but Lieben overpowered him every time. Kenny is naturally a 155-pound fighter and has never competed past 170 pounds. He is fighting someone who is naturally about 30 pounds bigger than him, so props to him. Um, you know, Kenny landed a few nice punches on Lieben, but Lieben absolutely dominated him most of the fight. In my personal opinion, Kenny is extremely lucky he cut Lieben open with the elbow and the doctor had to stop the fight or Lieben definitely would have won. Uh, you know, Lieben completely dominated the fight. Uh, Lieben is lucky to begin, uh, Le excuse me, Lieben is lucky to begin with because he got a second chance and was able to come back on the show after losing to Josh Koscheck and destroying property on the show. One thing I learned from the fight was the importance of elbows, especially for a self-defense situation. Uh, Chris Lieben completely dominated Kenny in this fight, but yet one elbow split open Lieben and stopped the fight. Even if the referee didn't stop the fight, this could have drastically changed the outcome of the fight. When blood pours into your eye from a cut, you can't see while you're punching, and you can't see punches coming. In a self-defense situation, a small elbow like that could uh, save you from getting severely beaten or losing a fight to someone bigger and stronger than you or just more skilled than you overall. So I guess what I'm getting at right here is imagine you're in a self-defense situation, right? Imagine you're, I don't know, maybe you're in a bar fight or somebody's trying to rob you or somebody's trying to jump you or something like that. Say you're fighting somebody who's much bigger than you, you know, much more of a skilled fighter than you. Uh, they're just, you know, beating the crap out of you, they're punching you in the face. You know, you're, you're getting pummeled. I mean, in a, in a couple of seconds, you're going to get knocked out or they might even kill you. Who knows? Maybe they're going to you know beat you to death or they're going to stab you or something like that. And say you just land one sharp elbow to this person and you split their eye open, and there's just blood pouring out of their eye, which is what happened to Chris Lieben. Say this happens in a street fight. You split somebody open You split somebody open with an elbow who's much bigger than you, much stronger than you, and they start bleeding everywhere. You know, number one, they might panic, but number two, it's going to affect their ability to fight because now they have blood pouring into their eye, and they might just panic over the fact that there's blood pouring out of their face now. So, I mean, this is really, a, you know, a life-changing situation. So this is really interesting sometimes how... I can relate mixed martial arts to a self-defense situation. Not always, because this is very much so a sport. I mean, there's rounds, 
The referee can stand up to the fight if he wants to. You're not allowed to eye poke, even though there are a lot of eye pokes. You're not allowed to hit people in the groin, even though there are a lot of accidental accidental groin strikes. Um, but, you know, there's certain rules implemented in the sport. And it's 100% a sport, but there are a lot of aspects of self-defense. You know, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was founded off of a self-defense perspective. Um, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of these martial arts derive from self-defense programs and things like that. So it is very interesting to see the self-defense aspect sometimes in situations like this. You know, of course, Josh Koscheck is extremely happy that Lieben is gone, of course, and thought he was gone for good the first time he beat him. So for those of you who have been following uh, the show, basically earlier on in the show, uh, Josh Koscheck and, and Chris Lieben, they had a, a, a tremendous rivalry. They hated each other's guts. Um, they had a big fight. You know, Chris Lieben got really drunk, and Josh Koscheck and his, and his teammate Bobby Southworth, they played a prank on him. They sprayed him with with water while he got drunk, and they made fun of him. And, um, you know, they antagonized him. And, and Chris Levin's not a saint either. You know, Chris Levin is 100% an asshole, too, and he gets drunk and he starts fights with people on the show. But uh, this this ended up, you know, leading into, to a bigger situation where Chris Levin kicked down a door, you know, looking for Josh Koscheck. He punched out the glass of the front window of the house. Blood was pouring out of his hand. It was a huge situation, and they were going to send him home. Um, but what they ended up doing was they allowed him to fight Josh Koscheck, and the loser of that fight would be sent home. So, uh, you know, Chris Lieben lost to Josh Koscheck, and he was sent home. But they needed some a fighter to come back because one of the fighters got injured, which is what you see frequently happening on the show. So they allowed Chris Lieben to come back for a second chance. So I mean, you can imagine the emotions in Josh Koscheck. This is his bitter rival. He hates this guy's guts. They almost had a fight outside of the octagon on the show. He's so happy this guy's gone, and then boom, he gets a second chance, and he comes back on the show. And there's still that bitter, bitter rivalry, you know what I mean? Even though they were more cordial when Chris Levin came back on the show because they didn't want to get kicked off the show for getting into another fight, they still don't like each other. There's still a bitter rivalry. So you can imagine Josh Koscheck is very happy and relieved that Chris Levin's off of the show now. Lieben was very lucky to have a second chance. You know, he was very lucky in the first place. I mean, this guy was quite a character on the show. He was drunk. He was getting into fights. I mean, from my personal perspective, I think it was the UFC's fault because, you know, they allowed him to drink alcohol on the show. And they, they, they literally provided everybody with alcoholic drinks on the show. And I think they did that, obviously, on purpose to try to get their ratings up because they know that if they had a bunch of, you know, fighters with egos living in a house, isolated, away from their families, under tremendous stress on a TV show with alcohol around they know that there's going to be some characters and they know that, you know, there's going to be some good, you know, juicy situations for a reality TV show like this. So um, I think they did that intentionally. But that being said, you know, Chris Levin is very lucky to come back on the show because he did break the rules. He did, you know, he did almost get into a fight and he's very blessed to have a second chance. And forget about that. He lost the fight, you know, based on how the show goes. If you lose a fight, you're supposed to be eliminated. So he was very lucky to come back in the first place. I think one of the other reasons why. They, they kind of pulled for him to come back was because, you know, he was like the star on the show. Like, he's like the main character on the show. Uh, he gets the most camera time. Uh, he's also an excellent fighter. But, you know, he's very lucky to come back. So one thing I do like about the show is they do give people a lot of second chances. After Nate was injured, Dana liked his personality and his sportsmanship and team leadership skills. It made him an assistant coach. After Chris Lieben clearly lost ununanimously to Josh Koscheck, the teammates voted to bring him back on the show for a second chance and a second fight. After Bobby lost a very controversial close fight to Bonner that could have went either way, Force allowed him to come back on the show as his backup if his cut on his eyebrow didn't heal in time for his next fight. 
The longer they stay on the show, the more exposure they get, and the more camera time and experience they get on the show, which hopefully translates to more money. Um, so yeah, the, the whole purpose of the show is to stay on the show as long as possible, to get as much money as you can, get as much camera time as you can, get as much exposure as possible. And ultimately, the, the ultimate goal is to, obviously is to win the show and make it into the finals and win all your fights. But, um, you know, the longer you stay on the show, the, the better it is for you and, and your chances of advancing in the sport. Because it's, a, it's not just, you know, your ability to fight. It's also your ability to sell tickets and things like that, too. So you have to be able to sell the fights. So they're looking for guys who have personality as well. That's that's the other catch to this show for people who haven't, you know, figured that out. They want to see who has the most personality, too. Who who can really, you know, promote a fight very well? Who, who, who has the most character? Who's going to be very good for the cameras? You know what I mean? So it's a lot more than just fighting. No, Lieben, of course, is very emotional and devastated because of his loss, and rightfully so. Randy says Lieben is, is learning from his loss and is learning to be humble and is realizing he is not invincible. I have lost many wrestling matches in my life. This is just my personal take on this. I've lost a lot of wrestling matches in my life, and uh, this made me very humble. Uh, losing is a part of life. Every setback Randy Couture had in his life devastated him, but set him up for something much more amazing. Uh, you know, Randy, so just a little bit of background information. I also did a podcast on Randy Couture and his uprising to fame. And I, I'm a huge fan of Randy Couture. He has a tremendous amount of character. His story is very inspiring. Um, so Randy can kind of relate to what Chris Lieben is going through in this situation. Uh, Randy lost many wrestling matches in his high school, but his uh, senior year, Randy became a state champion wrestler. So Randy started off as not a very good wrestler. Um, but by the time he became a senior, he he you know started winning a tremendous amount of his matches, and he actually won the state championship, which is absolutely unbelievable. And this is a very common theme with wrestlers. When people start out in wrestling, they usually get beat a lot, and eventually they just become better. And that's just one of those things where you have to take a lot of losses. You have to be embarrassed. You have to be humiliated. You have to lose in front of a crowd of people, and you just build off of those experiences. You become better. You become you know, more advanced in your skills. And um, that's that's a beautiful thing about wrestling. It builds a lot of character. And that doesn't always happen. There's wrestlers who never really improve or make it to the next level. But a lot of them do. And it's very fun to watch people improve. Uh, Randy also got his girlfriend pregnant his senior year of high school and could not wrestle in college, but instead joined the military and became an international wrestling champion, competing overseas in the military. Randy joined uh, the college wrestling team after leaving the military at a D1 college and was terrible his freshman year of college. By his senior year, he was an All-American wrestling champion. Uh, Randy tried out for the Olympic wrestling team twice and never made the team. Randy was devastated, but went on to be a UFC light heavyweight and heavyweight champion. Randy's father was never in his life, but watching his mother pick up slack and work two to three jobs to provide for him gave him a super drive and made him become an, an ultra-achiever in his sports. The point is, every setback in your life can lead to a huge comeback. So that, that's what I got from that documentary, is every setback in your life will lead to a bigger comeback. As long as you're trying, as long as you give 100% in everything that you do, every time you lose, every time you fail, every time things don't work out in your life, it's, it's, it's setting you up for a better comeback. So the goal of this is to stay positive no matter what. And obviously this relates to Chris Levin because he just lost his fight. He lost on the show. He lost both of his fights on the show. Now he's being sent home for good. But you know what? This is a learning experience. And this will you know, provide him with a bigger setback, bigger comeback when he comes back on the show or when he tries out for the UFC again. You know what I mean? He got a lot of camera time. He built a lot of character. He learned a lot about himself. He realizes he probably has a drinking problem. 
he realizes he's still very emotionally weak and he needs to, you know, probably see some counseling and get some help with his life. And uh, But it's just it's, it's setting him up for a bigger comeback if he takes this seriously and he matures and he learns how to, you know, deal with losses like this. He can become a much more mature uh, gentleman and, and really, you know, excel in this sport. And he kind of did for a little bit. I mean, he had some setbacks. He did get into some trouble later on in his life. But he did eventually make it into the UFC and he did win some fights. And he did have some success. So kudos to him, even though, you know, he did have some setbacks. He did get arrested. He did go to jail for some stuff. He still did have some problems with alcohol. But, you know, I think he did the best he could. And um, so, you know, kudos to him. Because of the pandemic and many health problems that I'm dealing with. So when I did this, this was kind of like when I did this podcast, it wasn't quite in the height of the, the COVID pandemic. But it was, you know, in the midst of all this mask wearing and, you know, vaccine stuff and things like that. So I tried to relate this to my own personal situation. So because of the pandemic, I have many, um, you know, and I have many health problems I'm dealing with. I was unable to find a job or keep a job for a long time. Uh, this gave me an opportunity to work on my podcast and do something I'm very gifted and good at, which is writing. Um, so the point of this is every setback in your life can lead to a major comeback. You know. So this is what I believe will happen for Lieben because Lieben is a skilled fighter who just needs some slight adjustments. I think these losses will make Lieben stronger and more humble. Uh, Lieben is humble in defeat, too, and tells Kenny he earned the, this victory. Um, I hope that Lieben will cut alcohol out of his life as well, unaware if this is a problem or not. You know, So it's, it's hard to judge from this situation, but from the background information that I do have, I think he did have a DUI. I don't know if it was after the show or before the show, so I think he has had a problem with alcohol in his life. I don't know if he has a drinking problem in real life or not, but I hope he stops drinking regardless. I think Chris will be back. He seems to be very popular with most people on the show, besides Josh and Bobby from Team Liddell, of course. Lieben is also more humble about this defeat because him and Kenny are friends and train together for a little bit. Um, well, when Lieben lost to Josh Koscheck, it was a lot more intense because they were on opposite teams, and Josh and Lieben had a big altercation that almost led to Lieben getting kicked off of the team. Josh and Levin were bitter rivals. Randy says that Levin has matured more than any of the other fighters on the show. Uh, his teammates uh, are sad to see him go. And uh, Levin says he is here to stay and he should pursue his dream. He's a skilled fighter. So I, I agree with him when he says that he's here to stay. Like, I don't, I don't think he should just quit because of this. I mean, he had, you know, he almost won that fight against Kenny Florian. Um, and, you know, Josh completely dominated him, but it's, it doesn't matter, though. Josh is a high-level wrestler, and he still, you know, stayed with him all those rounds. So I think he has a future. His teammates are sad to see him go. Uh, Kenny is now promoted to Team Couture Division Finals. Uh, the next fight will be Josh versus Diego Sanchez, which I think will be an incredible fight. Uh, Josh is a great wrestler and has a mean overhand right, and Diego is excellent at submissions and appears to be a good wrestler as well. It'll be interesting to see what his striking looks like. It will be interesting to see if Josh can take him down. Diego says this is the first time in his life where he is fighting someone that is a better wrestler than himself. One thing I definitely believe is that Diego can't take Josh down. Diego says he will try to knock him out, which I think will make uh, for a great fight. Josh says everybody thinks he is a one-dimensional fighter, but in reality he said he wanted to take Levin down because Levin has great knockout power. And Mike Sweet tells him Josh... Not to think like this. I believe Josh is probably an okay striker, but he shouldn't worry about what other people think. He should worry about winning the fight by any means necessary. 
and winning by the most practical, efficient way possible. Josh should definitely try to take down Diego. Diego is definitely nervous and has mixed emotions fighting a teammate he is close with and has trained with. So that's another thing. I don't know if I mentioned this, but these fighters are all fighting somebody that they've trained with. They've trained on the show for about maybe two months now. Um, so they, they've had time to see each other's fighting ability, so they should know what to expect. But it's also a little bit more personal because they're fighting their own teammates, you know, and they were competing against another team. But that's that's the nature of the beast. And I think that Dana White kind of did that on purpose, too, because in the fight world, you have to be ready to fight your teammates. You know, sometimes your teammates will go to another team and train at a different training camp, and you might fight somebody you've trained with for five years, ten years. I mean, it's business is business at the end of the day. So, I mean, it kind of happened at the last minute. They just found out they were fighting their teammates, but they should have expected this all along. It's, I mean, it's, it's a team elimination reality TV show. Of course, anything could happen. So, and then also too, fighters have been traded, you know, all throughout the show to the other team and things like that. So, it's, it shouldn't be a huge surprise to them. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, but it's just more personal and emotional because they became close. They became friends. They developed friendships. They, you know, they sleep in the same rooms. They share, you know, you know, drinks with each other. You know, they they share stories with their life with each other. They train like, you know, eight hours a day with each other. So it's just very personal that they're fighting their own teammates. And it's an emotional experience for these guys. You know, and then, so Diego is definitely nervous and has emotions fighting a teammate he is close with and has trained with. Diego says he has to remember he has thousands of hours of fight experience while Josh has thousands of hours of wrestling experience. So Josh is you know, looked at as, as just a wrestler who's done MMA for a couple years, who's really not that skilled in MMA, who just has a, you know, a great takedown, which is partially true. But I think Josh has a very high fight IQ, and I think that he does have some other skills, too. I don't think he's just a quote-unquote wrestler. You know, I think that he has some things that he needs to sharpen his skills with. But I think that he also has a very high fight IQ. You know what I mean? He, he strikes me as a, a, a gifted, talented athlete who's pretty smart. Force is on his way to the doctors to get his stitches out. The doctor says his stitches healed the cut great. Now Force must have, excuse me, now Force must uh, hear what the commission will decide whether he can fight or not. Bobby explains how he is in an awkward situation because he is friends with Force and wants him to succeed. But for himself to succeed, he has to hope that Force can fight. And he says that uh, it's an awkward situation. Bobby says he is more than happy to fight Sam. Because like many other fighters, they feel that Sam is a backstabbing, <laughs> lying cheater. So for, for those of you who have been watching this show, like Sam is the most unpopular character on the show. Everybody hates Sam. Um, you know, Sam, is he seems like a very self-centered person. He, he, he almost seems like he's a little bit on the autistic scale or something like that. I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but he just seems very different. He's very introverted. He seems very self-centered. He's not like an arrogant guy or an asshole or anything like that, but he just seems different, you know what I mean? He's not like the typical, you know, bro or teammate, you know, he's not like a, a, a guy's guy, you know, for lack of a better term, you know what I mean? He's not like a real social guy, so he's been getting picked on a lot on this show, and there was a situation earlier where they kind of accused Sam of stealing people's, um, you know, training equipment and things like that, and really, I, I don't think that he stole the equipment, I think that there was just extra stuff in one of the storage rooms or one of the manager's rooms, and he took it. And, um, you know, they, they just wanted somebody to blame, and they're under a lot of stress, and plus the cameras are there, so they wanted to show off for the cameras, but they're also under a tremendous amount of stress, and I guess some guys had some some hats that were missing and things like that, but it wasn't like thousands of dollars worth of stuff missing. We're talking about, you know, $50 worth of some 
you know, UFC hats and maybe some training stuff. But, you know, stealing is stealing at the end of the day. And these guys are fighters. So, you know, anybody would be pissed off if they thought somebody was stealing. And also, they didn't like Sam to begin with. But the reality is, um, the other fighters are probably taking stuff from the storage rooms as well. I mean, Forrest Griffin already admitted. He's like, yeah, well, you know, sometimes I took stuff from the storage room. So they were just kind of looking for a scapegoat for the situation for, you know, certain stuff going missing. And Sam kind of like, he stuck to his guns. He's like, look, man, um, you know, I, I talked to the coaches. They said I could take this extra equipment. And then when they asked the coaches, the coaches were like, hell no, we didn't say that Sam could take this. And the, the coaches even called out Sam on it. So I think that maybe the coaches might have been lying too. Maybe they didn't want to get in trouble with the UFC. And, um, you know, maybe they did say, yeah, you can take it. Or maybe they just didn't remember. But it was just a bad situation. But it all worked out because Sam apologized. He, you know, he made a pile of all the stuff, all the extra clothes that he had. And he put it in the middle of the floor. And he's like, look, guys, if you guys want to reclaim any of this stuff, you can take it. So I don't think Sam is a bad guy. I think he's just a little bit different. And he, he wasn't loyal to his team either. Like he would, there was a situation where he he actually like ran with the other team, which is really bad when you're in the middle of an intense competition like that, like in the in the heart of the competition, when both teams were in a bitter rivalry, he was training with the other team because his teammates didn't like him. His teammates were making fun of him. They were treating him bad. So Team Couture was a, was a team that was actually pretty cordial with him. But after this situation where they thought that he was stealing, you know, both Team Couture and Team Liddell hated him. So he's kind of like in a bad situation. But this is also in the heart of the semifinals. So he just has to survive a couple more weeks of this and he'll be okay. But I almost thought like on the show he was going to get jumped or something, man. Like it was bad. You know, Diego Sanchez told Chuck Liddell, he's like, you know what? I don't even want to train with this guy. I think he's a thief. I'm not I'm not training with him. So it was a bad situation. But um, I think he'll be okay. So Diego makes weight and Josh makes weight as well. So this is going to be a great fight as well because Diego Sanchez is an incredibly skilled jiu-jitsu guy. Like if you watch his previous fights on the show, I mean, he took his opponents down. He submitted them very quickly and he's very skilled. And it looks like he has some good striking abilities as well. So he's a stud. He's a, he's a high-level jiu-jitsu black belt. I don't know if he's a black. I think he's a black belt. And Josh Kochtek is a very high-level wrestler. And hopefully he has some jiu-jitsu defense skills. He's obviously going to try to take him down. So I think this is going to be a hell of a fight. Um, so Josh makes weight as well. Diego says he knows how good Josh is at wrestling and is glad he got to train with him or he would have uh, underestimated him. So that's another thing, too. These guys have trained together, so they know what to expect. They, I don't want to say they necessarily know who's going to win because anything can happen in fighting. But they, they should probably already have an idea of who can beat who, you know what I mean, just based off of the training. So both fighters have a big advantage because they have trained together. They know each other's strengths and weaknesses. At this point, Diego should know whether or not Josh can take him down because they spent so much time together. However, uh, oftentimes there are upsets in wrestling, and many wrestlers do end up beating their partners who, who consistently beat them sometimes. So when I was on a, a high-level wrestling team, I mean, I wasn't very good on this high-level wrestling team. This is like a very competitive wrestling team, like like I would say like a middle school wrestling team. And uh, they had the, you know, they would have face off to face offs to see who would, you know, wrestle next in the competitions and things like that. And um, a lot of times there were upsets, so you'd be really surprised. Sometimes the guy who always beat them, you know, eventually halfway through the season, they would have face offs and they, they would they would beat their opponent and they would they would end up facing them. So you'd be surprised. There's a lot of face offs where you know one guy comes out on top who you would never expect to come out on top. A lot of times. It's very consistent. There's always a wrestler that nobody can beat and things like that. But there are upsets, so you never know. 
at this point, Diego should know whether or not Josh can take him down because they have spent so much time together. However, like I said earlier, oftentimes there are many upsets in wrestling and many wrestlers do end up beating their partners who consistently beat them sometimes. You can tell both fighters are nervous and have great respect for one another. Uh, Diego claims his wrestling is just as good as his, which is probably not true at all because we're talking about a high-level college wrestler. But that's just the mentality you have to have. Like, so what? And there are upsets in, in MMA where one wrestler who's not as good as the other wrestler on paper, essentially, ends up beating him. You know what I mean? These guys all train 8 to 10 hours a day. You know, they have plenty of time to improve their wrestling. So anything is possible. You know, we have seen fighters that don't have the same accolades or the same, you know, gold trophies or, you know, championship, NCAA championships in wrestling, you know, end up beating the the guy who has the, you know, all the championship belts and things like that in wrestling. So like, uh, you know, George St. Pierre, he never really wrestled in college or anything like that. He came back and, and you know, took down Matt Hughes and, and beat Matt Hughes. So there are upsets like that. Absolutely. Um and also, MMA wrestling is a little bit different from college wrestling because it's a cage. You have to worry about, you know, getting punched and kicked and kneed and elbowed and submissions. So it is very different. You know what I mean? I don't want to say very different, but it is definitely different. You know, MMA wrestling is certainly different than collegiate wrestling, like I was just saying. Um, you have to worry about strikes, knees, ground and pound, defense, and submissions when you go for a takedown. Josh says he learned more here in three weeks than he has learned in three years, which is total BS. Uh, one thing about MMA is you can't learn skills overnight. It takes years to develop skills. He may have learned better strategy and improved some of his technique, but you can't compare three years of high school and collegiate wrestling and years of MMA skills to three weeks of MMA training with Team Liddell. So this is ridiculous. I mean, at the very best, you know, maybe he, he developed a better strategy, maybe uh, you know, Chuck Liddell tweaked some things for him, like, okay, well, maybe I'll show you how to work on your jab a little bit better. Maybe I'll show you how to avoid the takedown. Maybe I'll show you how to, you know, tighten up your submission skills or something like that. But, you know, you, you, you cannot develop, you know, skills to be a legitimate MMA fighter in three weeks. But that's just the mentality, you know, you have to have. You have to pump yourself up. You have to say things to psych yourself up. So he, he's he's doing a good job of, of mentally being strong in preparing himself for this fight by saying stuff like this. And it's good for the cameras, too. And, and that's probably how he feels. You know, he's training with a very high-level, you know, MMA fighter. And he's probably getting, you know, tremendous experience and exposure, even if it is just a couple of weeks. So he's a little bit right, but he's also, you know, super exaggerating the situation. If that were the case, anybody could come on the show and compete. And his achievements before coming on the show wouldn't matter. So, yeah, if, if that was the case, then they could just bring any bum on the street and come on that show. And they would be an MMA fighter in three weeks. So it's ridiculous. There are bloodstains on the UFC mat, which is reminders of the wars uh, Lieben and, and Griffin had in the octagon. So previously when Lieben and, and, and Griffin fought, you know, before, not, they didn't fight each other, but their previous fights, you know, there's a lot of blood. So there's literally bloodstains on the octagon floor, which is pretty crazy. Dan, Dana goes to the Hard Rock ca uh, Cafe Hotel and Casino to meet with Phil Shalalo. I don't know if I pronounced that right. The head of the marketing. Uh, since the semifinals are almost over, they're looking for a venue to hold the weigh-ins. The final fight will take place April 9th at 9 p.m. The fights will take place live on Spike TV. The fights will take place uh, at the Koi Pavilion uh, right across the street from the Hard Rock Hotel. Unlike other sports, one thing that is unique about the UFC is that the light, the excuse me, the weigh-ins are exciting. So when they have the weigh-ins in the sport, there's a lot of excitement in these weigh-ins. These guys 
all the fans come out to watch the weigh-ins and it's a really exciting thing which is really kind of ironic because like i mean they're literally just sitting on a scale for a couple of seconds but there's just so much you know so much excitement in the air and the fans are just so excited that they cheer and they come out to watch them weigh in so that's one thing that's kind of cool about the sport it's kind of unique i mean you, you wouldn't think that's exciting but it's actually like a big part of the sport is watching the weigh-ins it, it builds up the intensity and it, it's pretty cool to watch the opponents stare each other down in an aggressive face-off, and the fans come to cheer them on. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to watch the Wayans. It's very exciting, actually. You wouldn't think it is, but it is, especially if you're really excited to see one of your favorite fighters fight. I mean, just the buildup is just crazy. So all the Wayans break Nevada attendance history. Dana and Phil discuss how they will use the Hard Rock Hotel and Cafe, and Dana says they will use the stadium for Wayans and media. Phil says they may uh, give the winner and memorabilia case meaning they will put the winners of the fights excuse me they'll put the winner of the fighters trunks on display at the hard rock which is epic so the hard rock hotel and cafe is like a really classic um hotel in, in las vegas and it's a really epic restaurant and hotel and to have anything on display there is a big deal like a lot of rock stars have their guitars out there a lot of famous people have pictures there so it's a really big part of history to have anything on display at the Hard Rock Hotel and Cafe, especially in Las Vegas. So the finalists of the Hard Rock will stay at the hotel as well, and Rich Franklin and Ken Shamrock will be there as well. The hotel will cater the gym for the UFC finalists to work out and train at. They will move all of their workout equipment outside the gym to make room for the fighters to train. Dana says this is the first time a hotel has catered a gym to the UFC for fighters to train. Dana says this is the biggest MMA event for any of the finalists to compete at. Chuck is torn about Diego fighting Koscheck because he trained both of them, so it's hard for the coaches too in these situations. He doesn't like giving separate game plans to both fighters and not telling each each fighter what he told the other one. So, you know, the, the, these are guys who have a tremendous amount of character. Chris, you know, Chuck Liddell has a tremendous amount of character. Randy Couture has a tremendous amount of character. They they take their their craft, they take their their loyalty to the sport very seriously. So. They put a lot of time and effort into helping these fighters. And also, th this is a time where they're promoting a sport that's really not that big. Like, this is maybe 10 or 15 years ago when the sport really wasn't as big as it is today. So they were basically the pioneers for the sport. This, the whole the whole future of the UFC depended on how well this show did. So they, they took this very seriously. They put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into training these fighters to be the best that they can be. And also just their character. Like, they, they these are guys who are very loyal to their teams and things like that. So... You know, Chuck Liddell doesn't want to, you know, screw over his teammates or anything like that. So that's one thing I really liked about this show. Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture, they have tremendous character. And um, it's really cool to see them coach these guys. And I really like watching the amount of character that they have. So that being said, Chuck will remain neutral and not corner either or either one of the fighters which is completely understandable. Josh is a notable high-level wrestler, but he is training with Team Liddell and working on his striking. So that, that that was pretty cool that he's, you know, they did that very well. They put, you know, Josh Koscheck with Chuck Liddell because Chuck Liddell is a much better striker, so he can develop a better game plan for, for Josh Koscheck. And the thing about striking is you can pick up striking a lot quicker than you can pick up Chuck Liddell. And also, I want to make it clear, it's not like they just picked him right off of the, the wrestling mat. You know what I mean? Like, he's had a couple years of MMA experience. He's probably done a little bit of amateur boxing. He's probably done a lot of sparring matches in the gym. But they're just tightening up his striking techniques, and he's in there with a legend who has a lot of MMA experiences, and he can show him, like, certain techniques in the cage to fight better with. 
I wonder if Dana purposely told Chuck to pick Josh Koscheck to his team for that reason. Dana says when Josh fought leaving, he took him down time after time, but didn't know what to do with him once he took him down. So in Josh's last fight, he took leaving down, but he didn't really land any significant strikes, which is which is pretty much true. He took him down, but like if he was a little bit more of a skilled MMA fighter, he probably could have landed some bigger elbows, some bigger punches. But he still completely dominated him in the fight regardless. Me personally, I disagree. Okay, so, you know, see, maybe I I, you know, I, I recorded this podcast maybe three weeks ago, maybe longer than that. So let's, let's refresh my memory here. These are my notes. So we'll, let's see if I'm lying or if I'm full of shit here. So me personally, I disagree. I think Josh landed powerful punches from the bottom. And I think the referee stand-ups were ridiculous. Okay, so my apologies. I have to refresh my memory a little bit. This is probably this fight I'm talking about. So Josh did land a lot of powerful punches. And the referee, yeah, now I look back at it, the referee was standing up the fight a lot. So that was ridiculous as well. You know, the referee in MMA can stand up the fight whenever he feels like it's not exciting or things like that. So that was ridiculous too. So Diego is probably more skilled at submissions from the bottom. So Josh better be careful, especially because Josh is probably like maybe a blue belt, maybe not even a blue belt in MMA, and excuse me, not in MMA, in jiu-jitsu. So he better be careful as well. You know, just just because he gets the takedown doesn't mean that he's safe. He could still get submitted. So he has to be caref- careful here as well. Dana says Josh has improved his ground and pound skills in the last three weeks and his ground skills overall. Dana also says that Josh is a great athlete and has excellent endurance. That is one thing about the sport. You must have good endurance and cardio, enough to go five rounds. Uh, you must be an athlete and you must be in excellent shape to be a UFC fighter. Dana explains how Diego finished his last two fights very quickly, but none of those fighters were skilled on the ground. Dana also points out we have never seen Diego go to the distance, so cardio and endurance are big factors. Dana thinks Josh will try to keep the fight standing and knock Diego out. I think he should look for the takedown. I can understand why he wouldn't uh, want to do that either, because if Diego sprawls and spins behind Josh, he could take him his back and submit him easily, or even secure a guillotine from a takedown attempt. So Josh has to be very careful here. Dana thinks Diego will try to take the fight straight to the ground and catch Josh in a submission. I don't think Diego can take Josh down, and if Josh sprawls, he can land serious ground and pound on Diego. Either way, this should be an excellent fight. The interesting question will be, who's the better stand-up striker? Josh claims he is not on. He claims he's not one-dimensional and can strike, and we have never seen Diego strike. I think um, I think he has a powerful overhand right that we saw him use against Levin, but I think he may have some other punches and kicks in his arsenal as well. Diego says his plan is to stand up, stop his takedowns, and knock him out. Josh's boxing coach, Pete, tells him to strike with him from a distance to avoid the takedown. It sounds like Josh will go for the takedown and believes Diego can't stand his uh, can't stop his takedowns. Josh says he wasn't able to stop his takedowns since day one of this competition, and he said he will be surprised if he can stop them now. See, that, that, that's what I mean. These guys have trained for a long time, so they already kind of know what's going to happen in the fight in a lot of ways, especially because they were on the same team, so... They kind of know what to expect. You know, Josh makes a good point and says he has never showed Diego his skill set going 100%, but today he will. So I don't really know how true that is. They say that a lot on the show. Oh, well, he doesn't know my, my secret techniques and things like that. But I think that's a little bit crazy because the way fighting works is you have to practice your techniques every single day. You know what I mean? 
like uh, one of the things that Bruce Lee said was he said, I, I don't fear the man who knows a thousand kicks. I fear the man who knows one kick that he's practiced a thousand times. So the point is to get good at a technique. You have to consistently practice that technique every day, every week, or else it's not going to be effective. And that's why like wrestling, wrestling practice, if you're on a serious wrestling team, they'll practice five days a week, six days a week, because, you know, you have to have a repetitive, you know, motion of these techniques or else they're not going to work. So I don't know how necessarily true that is. You know what I mean? They're on the show for quite some time and they have a lot of time to work on their skills. And if you don't train hard, it's going to be a reflection of that in the ring. So I, I don't know how true that is that you can hide certain techniques and things like that. I think that's a little bit of BS. I've heard a lot of fighters say that on the show. I think they say that just to hype up the fight. So I'm going to end this segment of the podcast here because I want to give you guys a full comprehension of the fight. It's a very detailed, very good, bloody fight. So I'm going to stop it right here so I have a full hour to you know break down the fight for you guys. So that's just the introduction right there.